are Locked On Louisville, your daily podcast on the Louisville Cardinals. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everyone? Welcome in to another episode of the Locked On Louisville Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Pence. It is a Monday. Louisville is fresh off of a win against Eastern Kentucky. So let's talk about it. We'll begin with the weekly good, bad, and ugly And we'll transition into some key takeaways and reactions. And as always, every first episode of the week, we will finish out the episode with a mailbag. So a lot of good stuff to talk about today. Uh, Before we get into it, like I mentioned, my name is Dalton Pence. I am a credentialed media member for Cardinal Sports Home, where I serve as a football beat writer, a recruiting analyst, and a feature writer. I also do some PA announcing work for the university in sports like baseball, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer, etc., you can follow my Twitter at Deepens underscore and the Locked On Podcast Twitter page is at LO underscore Louisville. Before we get into the show, want to give a shout out to Locked On ACC. There's no better place to get all of your ACC conference news than the Locked On ACC podcast hosted by Candace Cooper. Be sure to follow that podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you like to get your podcast. So jumping right on into it, the Cardinals defeated the Eastern Kentucky Colonels 30-3 to on Saturday evening. I was actually there in the press box covering that game for Cardinal Sports Zone. There was a lot of um, good interviews that came with that, so be sure to check out all the content on cardinalsportszone.com. But in terms of what we saw, the Cards offense started out slow once again. We'll talk good, bad, and ugly. Um, That's definitely going to pop up more than once in this segment. But I guess if we're going to start out with the good, it's that I thought that the secondary, guys in the secondary really stepped up. Keytrail Clark had two interceptions, which is the first time that has happened for a Louisville player since Trumaine Washington in 2017. Outside of the two interceptions, he actually was tied for the team high in tackles with six, along with Quinterio Cole. You also had Kendrick Duncan Jr., who had five tackles, uh, 0.5 for a loss. And then mentioning tackles for a loss, Keytro Clark led the team with two tackles for loss. I think it speaks volumes when your top three secondary guys lead the team in tackles. You can, you know, pitch that however way you want in terms of whether that's just, you know, good secondary play or poor play up front. Regardless, you know, those guys showed out defensively. The Cards only gave up three points, and the Colonels really never threatened that much. I think it was, you know, one drive, maybe two tops. But at the end of the day, uh, a solid performance turned in by the Louisville defense that. You know, gives a foundation for the unit to build upon. All right, so now transitioning into the bad section of this segment, we're going to focus on the Louisville defensive line. The defensive line unit only got one sack, or really the Louisville defense as a whole only got one sack. That came to Ashton Gelati um, in kind of later on in the second half. There were only six quarterback pressures, which in my opinion is extremely unacceptable. I get that Eastern Kentucky was trying to take a page out of the Mississippi playbook with the up-tempo play calling and, you know, the short, quick throws out into the flat or over by the hashes. So I get it. You know, there was, um, yeah, that's an issue that we'll talk about later on in the week. But at the end of the day, it's it's very alarming to see a defensive line. Yeah, struggled against Mississippi, which that was to be expected. They returned a veteran-led offensive line, which could end up being one of the better ones in the SEC. But with Eastern Kentucky, uh, a team that, 
you know, kind of struggled a little bit in protecting Parker McKinney against Western Carolina. There just wasn't a ton of pressure against him in this game. You know, Ashton had the one sack. There were only six quarterback hurries. And then when you flip it on its head and look at the Eastern Kentucky defense, they only had one quarterback hurry, but, you know, they tied Louisville in, in total sacks. And that just doesn't bode well for, you know, the future of this season in terms of, um, you know, getting after the quarterback. And I get it. You know, teams progress through the, you know, throughout the year. But at the end of the day, the Cards welcome Central Florida less than a week away on Friday evening, and that's a that's a team led by Gus Malzahn, who's also you know like Lane Kiffin, you know thought to be one of the better offensive you know mindsets in college football. So in Central Florida's you know marquee is scoring the football, so so it's going to be a challenge on both sides of the ball, um, both offense and defense. I think it's going to be more of a challenge for the defense, particularly for that defensive line. Because as good as the secondary played against Eastern Kentucky, you also have to think, you know, the the tone gets set in the trenches. If you can't get to the quarterback or blow plays up in the backfield or stop the run, it really doesn't do the secondary in the the linebacking court any favors because, you, you know, you have to not only deal with the solid play calling and the very good skill players, but you also, you know, have to factor in now giving the opposing quarterback time to make his reads and deliver solid throws with good protection. I mean, that is, you know, a recipe for disaster for this Louisville defense. And if, and if the unit's not careful, it could be an effort like, you know, Mississippi where the Louisville defense gives up close to 600 yards and gives up uh, almost 50 points. You know, I, I hate to think like that. I want to be more optimistic. But just the product that we've seen on the field from this Louisville defense of the past two games, it's hard to think it's going to be any other way, especially when one of those two games is against an FCS opponent in Eastern Kentucky. So talked about the good, talked about the bad. The ugly is the slow start on offense once again. The cards didn't really have a meaningful you know, substantial drive until the very last drive of the first half, which resulted in a three-yard score from Malik Cunningham. I get that you know Malik had a touchdown rush earlier in the first half, but you know context matters. That was the result of Marvin Dallas being in the perfect position at the right time when you know um, I believe it was Matt Wilcox Jr. that fumbled the punt, and the Cards had. First and 10 at the EKU 25 and a couple plays later off of a broken play, actually, in which seemed like there was a miscommunication between Cunningham and true freshman Travion Cooley, in which um, either Malik went the wrong way or Cooley went the wrong way. Malik was still to dodge a couple tackles and score to you know break the scoreless tie. At the end of the day, I don't think that this performance by the offense did the Louisville faithful any favors in trying to reassure them that you know, the Mississippi game wasn't a fluke because just like that game, the rushing attack really didn't start to open up until the second half. The passing attack, Malik Cunningham still struggled with some of his reads, and we'll talk more about that as the week goes on. And after that first half, the Carts actually averaged less than three yards per carry on the ground, which is unacceptable when, you know, we've heard all of this, you know, great praise for the offensive line in the off season, it just didn't look like that. We haven't been able to see that product yet. So in the drives that Louisville had in that first half, no drive outside of the very last one, which is an 11 play, I believe 72 yard scoring drive from Malik Cunningham and his quarterback keeper. No drives spanned more than 34 yards. I think there were what seven or eight drives in that half. Don't hold me to it, but. 
that alone, I mean, that is extremely alarming against a team that gave up 501 yards of offense to Western Carolina the week before. And, you know, this really doesn't matter truly, but Western Carolina got beat. I believe it was 76-0 against Oklahoma. So it just kind of gives you a little bit of context. But, man, that that's very discouraging for the Louisville offense. And I, I get, you know, maybe they're a second-half team, but when you're going up against some of the offenses that you're facing this year, whether it be Mississippi or Mississippi Light and Central Florida, you know, you can't afford to have, you know, these bad first halves and lay an egg in the first 30 minutes because we saw the season opener. It doesn't matter how good you do in the second half if you're already out of the game. The cards were down 26-0 to zero in that first half. If they're not careful, it could definitely be deja vu this Friday night at Cardinal Stadium because Central Florida is not a team to mess around with. I know that Boise State gave them some fits, but at the end of the day, that's because Boise State started scoring early. It's going to be a dogfight, and the best chance for Louisville in this game is to get into a shootout. For that to happen, you know, Malik Cunningham has to be more comfortable on his reads. The offensive line has to do better for you know, the running back committee. And at, you know, turning heads to Scott Satterfield, the play calling has to stop being so vanilla and predictable because I think that you know, as good as these guys are up front, as good as these guys are in the skill positions, when defenses can predict what you're going to do, it definitely doesn't give your offense any favor. So I'd like to see some improvements in that realm. But uh, before we get into some key takeaways and reactions, let's talk about price picks. If you're a college football fanatic, have you ever heard of Price Picks? Price Picks is a daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and you will too. Price Picks offers every sport you can think of, like NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, etc. It offers more college football props than anyone in the world, and offers all of the star players of the Power Five as well as mid-major players you might not have even heard of. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from yardage to touchdowns and even interceptions thrown. So here's an example of how it works. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections and you can win up to 10 times on any entry and it's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sport entries. You can take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. The entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, it's safe, and it offers fast withdrawals as well. So do yourself a favor, don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. So let's transition into the middle segment of the show today. We're going to talk some key initial takeaways and reactions. Uh, we'll, we'll start out with the offense. I thought that, like I mentioned in the previous segment, the Louisville offense started out slowly. In the second half, they were able to gain a little rhythm. Jalen Mitchell finished the game um, leading the cards and rushing with 18 carries for 90 yards along of 24. I think most of the yards came on one possession early in the third quarter, which yeah, he busted that 24-yard gainer and another big one in that possession. Um, Malik Cunningham right behind him with two quarterback keepers. Cunningham on the day finished with 29 yards rushing, 15-23, to 23, 277 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. I thought that the Louisville wide receiving core showed their versatility in this game as well. True freshman Amari Huggins-Bruce had four for 150. 
Uh, a lot of that was on that notable 95-yard catch and run in which he fumbled, pulled a Deshaun Jackson, and um, the ball traveled into the end zone touchback EKU ball. Would have been the longest pass in Louisville football program history, dating back to, I think it was... Um, you know, sometime uh, middle of the 1950s or something like that, but don't hold me to it. Regardless of the fumble, he showed just how electric he can be. And I keep coming back to this comparison. I tweeted it out Saturday night. He gives me so many T.Y. Hilton vibes. You know, just being able to, anytime he catches the ball, boom, you have to watch him to take it to the house. You know, it could be a house call just because he's that quick, he's that fast with the ball, he's shifty, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I am very excited to see this young man in this Louisville program for years to come. I, I mentioned Josh Johnson on the podcast last week. I thought that he made the most out of his opportunities, although it was just two catchers for 41 yards. When his number's been called, I thought he's been very, you know, very solid. Justin Marshall, his first touchdown of the season, two for 34 and a touchdown on that 30-yard, you know, screen that allowed him to waltz into the end zone. So I thought that the offense was able to get into their rhythm in the second half, but but at the same time, they have to be able to do that earlier in the game. You know, playing a team like Central Florida or even some of the other opponents on their schedule, games could get really ugly like 2018 if the team is not able to make adjustments early on. I thought Malik Cunningham, for the most part, uh, made some, some good decisions on the ground. You know, obviously showed his athleticism in that 10-yard scamper in the first half that broke the scoreless tie. But there were still some instances where Malik Cunningham was hesitant on his reads, just made some bad throws, overthrew some guys, underthrew some guys. There were more deep shots in which Scott Satterfield basically said, you know, it was hard to you know throw the deep ball against Mississippi when they dropped eight guys, and Eastern Kentucky's coverage enabled them to go deep. Tried to go to Tyler Harrell a pair of times in that first half, wasn't able to connect with him, but some some key strikes over you know like I mentioned the uh, Mari Huggins Bruce reception that ended up being a fumble uh, he got Braden Smith on a couple I believe um, Amari Huggins Bruce had another one in that first half that that uh, got some substantial yardage so overall I mean the offense played okay uh, I I would like to see the the running game be able to be established I like in the one thing that I really enjoyed was watching them run to the outside in the second half. I think that that's what helped Jalen Mitchell be able to break off those big runs. And Travion Cooley, only four carries for 19 yards. And I get it. I know that there's a lot of mouths to feed in that running back room, but I do think that he deserves some more opportunity. Um, one alarming set on offense, Marshawn Ford only had one target that resulted in one reception for six yards. I don't think that that can happen if you're wanting to be able to reach the potential of this offense. With having a mismatch guy like that, when you know we've we've been told that he can play out wide and that he's going to, and uh, he offers a lot of mismatches as whether a traditional tight end or an H back, just not being able to get him the ball has been somewhat disappointing through the first two games. I know he had four for fifty in that first game against Mississippi, but the second game I thought that this was a great opportunity against uh, a you know lackluster defense to be able to get him going and um, allow him to build a foundation of confidence. Just didn't get many opportunities. I think that, you know, looking forward, this is going to have to be a focal point of trying to get him the ball. Um, I'm not saying that you have to, you know, devise the game plan to only get him the ball like uh, some offenses have done in years past, like a Kyle Pitts or anything like that. But I think you have to be able to open the field up and you can't be able to, you know, get the running game going if defenses know what you're doing. 
So, uh, you know, speaking of defense, let's transition into that realm. Um, like I mentioned, the pass rush wasn't great. Only one sack, six quarterback hurries. In, in terms of the running game, which was EKU's um, lesser of the two evils, 22 carries for 86 yards, just under four yards a carry. Most of the rushing yards came to Parker McKinney, the quarterback, eight carries for 44 yards, a lot of these scrambles. So the majority of the yards coming to the quarterback on broken down plays, that is good for the Louisville defense and just that they did shut down the rushing attack from the Colonels. In terms of passing, uh, Parker McKinney, 21 for 32, 129 yards and two picks. Winning the turnover battle was big for the cards. That's something that we've been preaching. Um, you know, I, I like to say that Louisville didn't turn the ball over because nothing was forced, but you have to consider that the Amari Huggins Bruce fumble was indeed a turnover, regardless of how, you know, stupid it is. You know, but I, you know, that's a conversation for a different day. I don't really care about that in the in the grand scheme of things. Louisville being able to capitalize against an inferior opponent, Keytro Clark coming off with two big interceptions, bodes well for the cards in this game. Um, the first one obviously led to the touchdown winning turnover battles is obviously beneficial for a team's potential to win a game so like i mentioned parker mckinney didn't necessarily have that great of a day as a passer now in the second quarter eku was able to move down the field a little bit with that up tempo you know quick passing matt wilcox jr led the way for the colonels seven catches for 66 yards and that is reflected in the colonels 6.5 yards per reception across the receiving committee so i thought the the defense overall was pretty decent except for the pass rush i thought that the secondary bent but did not break i would like to see moving forward the cards be able to be able to fill those voids that pop up at the middle of the field. I know that they play a lot of zone, but it just seems like guys have been you know wide open early on over in the flat or across the middle, and for Louisville to take that next step, they have to be able to shut those quick, easy passes down. So I thought the defense looked pretty solid. You know, Shout out to Cottrell Clark, Quinterio Cole, Kendrick Duncan, uh, also Yasir Abdullah, CJ Avery, Monty Montgomery, the linebacking trio. Thought they played pretty well as well. So, so overall, offensively, there was some to be desired. Defensively, was pretty solid outside of the pass rush. Special teams. Uh, it's been a while since the Carta had had a punt return for a touchdown. The last one came in 2018, the home opener against Indiana State, in which Rajay Burns took a 55-yarder back. That streak was snapped on Saturday evening when Braden Smith took a punt off of the bounce or a couple of bounces to the house from 49 yards out. One of the better punt returns that you will see from college football this season. And um, yeah, I'm very excited for him as a punt returner. I finally think that you know Louisville has found their go-to guy as the punt returner. So, you know, he looked good. Braden Smith did with that rugby style kicking and punting. So uh, credit to him. I thought special teams did pretty well tonight. And, you know, forcing the fumble from Marvin Dallas in the first half was, was pretty big as well. So before we get into the weekly Monday mailbag, let's talk a little for, about our sponsors. Beginning with Sweatblock. Um, like I mentioned, they sent me a care package a couple weeks ago of a deodorant stick, a couple body creams, and um, some antiperspirant wipes, and I have loved the experience. They're doctor-created and doctor-recommended. They work for up to seven days per use, and there's a dry shirt guarantee, so a sweat block doesn't keep you dry. You can get your money back. It's featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show by firefighters. And it's a bestseller on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews manufactured right here in the United States. So you're able to wear what you want to wear. It's your little secret to confidence and it's a must-have for everyone's toiletry bag. 
whether it's a big presentation or a hot date, anyone can benefit. I know this will sound too good to be true, but I literally only have to use sweat block once or twice a week, and it keeps me dry the whole time. So there's no more pitting out. You don't have to pick your shirts based on which one will hide the sweat better. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check sweat block out. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or at Amazon or CVS. And the other sponsor that there's an opportunity that you have to take a look at if you're into protein bars, Built Bar is the best tasting one out on the market. It has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor. Um, every Built Bar fan has their favorites that they're passionate about. They have you know flavors from coconut to cherry to raspberry to peanut butter brownie into salted caramel so there's ones for everyone uh, if you haven't tried all the flavors or simply don't know where to start you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors and not only are built bar flavors the best tasting but they're healthy as well most flavors only have 17 to 18 grams of protein only 130 to 180 calories four to five grams of sugar four to five grams of net carbs all of the nine amazing flavors are tasty and healthy so you can order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like So be sure to go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your first order. Once again, that is using the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So the final segment on this Monday edition of the show, we're going to dive into the weekly mailbag. Um, Obviously, last week it was on Tuesday because there wasn't an episode on Labor Day. So unless there is a week in which a Monday episode isn't possible, the mailbag will automatically go to Tuesday or whichever day is the first um, recording of the week. So there's three questions I want to focus on for this Monday mailbag. Uh, The first one is about the receiving core, and I kind of touched on this as well. Um, The first question is, what is Amari Huggins-Bruce's ceiling in this Louisville offense? It's kind of a complex question when you break it down because, number one, the ceiling is kind of a byproduct and result of the offensive scheme that you're running. If you're running an offense that doesn't really you know, prioritize the passing and you have a quarterback that maybe is a little hesitant in his reads like Malik Cunningham is, it does you know, take a hit when it comes to the potential and ceiling of a certain receiver. I mean, look at Marshawn Ford. This is a guy that's you know, had seven to eight touchdowns the past couple of seasons and you know he's had five receptions in the first two games so a lot of it's depending on the quarterback play and you know just being able to get some cohesive flow inside the offense but any perfect situation um, obviously it's the first year uh, led the team in receiving this past game with that 95 yard um, catch and run and ultimate fumble I do think that his ceiling is probably, you know, all ACC caliber if the production is there because the talent's there. The talent is no question. I think, you know, he has possible Rondell Moore type talent. Maybe not, you know, that dynamic, but definitely a Rondell Moore light, you know, so to speak. So I do think that the talent is there. It All of it really is just a matter of production. You can have all the talent in the world, but if, if you can't get the production, think of like a Des Fitzpatrick had a you know year freshman year where he um you know flirted with the most receiving touchdowns by a newcomer in ACC history uh and you know the next 3 years didn't necessarily do that well when it came to getting the ball you know it's not something that he did it was just a matter of not being able to get the ball from whichever quarterback was throwing it to him so I think it's a lot of it's based upon production so I really don't feel comfortable answering that question until we kind of see how you know year one progresses and how you know year two starts out but talent wise the answer is obviously an all ACC caliber player 
and a possible day one to two draft pick. So moving on to the second question, the second question reads, with the Cardinals' performance on Saturday evening, what are your initial thoughts on the game against Central Florida coming up? Um, personally, I'm scared to death of this matchup. I do think that um, going against a high-octane offense like the Knights utilize and also um, you know, having the issues that we've had with keeping drives going in the first half and the defense not being able to apply pressure. Simply put, I'm very, you know, nervous for this matchup. It could turn out, you know, a result like the Mississippi result where they start out down 3 to 4 scores and they maybe, you know, score more in the second half than their opposition, but at that point the game's kind of out of reach. So uh, put it this way, I'm not optimistic about it. Um, I can already tell you that I won't have the Cardinals winning this game. Regardless, uh, there's just not going to be anything to prove my intuition differently. So I am not optimistic for this matchup. I do think that this could be the Achilles heel for the Cardinals going up against a high-octane offense. This is a top-three offense that the Cards will go up against this season. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be tough, and... Hopefully, you know, the improvements that we talk about later on this week will be able to come to fruition and the cards are able to make this a a pretty close game. So with the last question of the episode, and this is kind of one that I was hoping would be asked eventually because it makes, you know, Cardination think. The question reads, will this be Keitrell Clark's last year with the Louisville program? And I just love this question because I think more people need to grasp the reality that Keitrell Clark could very well be in the NFL next season. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a first-round pick or anything like that, but with him now being eligible, he I think he's going to continue to show out, and a lot of it's going to be based upon how he finishes out the season. Obviously, we're only two games into it, but Mississippi really didn't throw the ball his way. Easter Kentucky did, and it resulted in two interceptions, which hasn't been done in Louisville since 2017. So I think we have to factor in that you know this is one of the ACC's better cornerbacks, He's definitely stepping up to the plate. However, there are at least you know 10 games left to be played, so way too early to make the call. But I do have to you know to bring up the possibility that Katrell Clark looks the part of an NFL player. He's got the swagger. He's got the confidence. There's just a ton. There's a surplus of talent that we've seen, and we've seen through his play early on that you know those, those concerns that he even brought up in the press conference of his lack of size and you know vertical height don't matter when you have a guy that's you know very athletic and that can go up and you know win jump balls, high point footballs at the top of their peak. So I'm very excited to see him play the rest of the season and against teams like Clemson, against teams like Central Florida coming up. So we'll you know we may be singing you know different tune or the same tune you know after this week. But to answer the question, yes, there is a very real possibility that this could be Clark's last year in the Louisville program. And I don't say that as a bad way. I'm not saying he's going to transfer out or anything like that or you know yada yada yada. I think it would be you know an early entry to the NFL. I firmly believe that he's a day two prospect, um, you know, second or third round. You know, he has that, you know, potential. He's not necessarily, you know, he's not like, you know, too small for the position. He's, uh, admittedly, he's maybe smaller for the position. But like I said, he makes up with that, with his tenacity, with his athleticism, with that dog mentality. He's just very good in coverage, 
very good with sticking with guys. So at the end of the day, this is a guy that really could fall in that second to third round. So yes, Cottrell Clark could very well be playing his last season with the Louisville Cardinals. However, it's going to be dependent on how he performs these next 10 games. First two, he looks solid. If the draft was tomorrow, I think that he would get drafted top three rounds. But obviously, you have to you know play this season out. So it'll be interesting to see how he finishes out the season. So you know, overall, we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly from Eastern Kentucky. We also discussed the key initial takeaways and reactions and the weekly Monday mailbag. Uh, so before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about some podcasts that you should be listening to, beginning with the Cardinal Sports Zone podcast. A lot of good stuff coming out of that corner. Um, your comic relief, along with your weekly dose of you know knowledgeable Cardinal tidbits and other information about the Cardinal sports. Very good podcast, hosted not by not only myself, but Jeremy and Joe Wallman, Wes Brown, Sean Barber, Sam Baisden, Higgy, and um, also the Locked on Bets podcast. So betting on any team does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we ask that you please like, subscribe, and rate the show on whatever streaming service you use. It's definitely appreciated. It never goes unnoticed. Thank you for all of the support. I'm always open for suggestions or anything like that. You can DM me at defense underscore or the podcast Twitter page at LO underscore Louisville. If there's a topic you want to be discussed on the show, obviously you can send me a direct message on either of those accounts and I'll be able to get back with you very, very quickly. Uh, But that's going to wrap up this Monday edition of the show. Tomorrow we will discuss a little more about EKU, uh, of recent decommitment for the Louisville football program, and much more right here on Locked on Louisville. Y'all have a good rest of your Monday, and we'll see you here tomorrow.